0: To follow along with your Bible today, Uh, we're going to start in John chapter 14. Uh, We've got a a couple other passages that we're going to look at as well in 1 Corinthians 15 and then in Revelation 21. Uh, We are at the end of the Apostles' Creed. So we have spent uh, 15 weeks until today. This makes 16 weeks looking at the uh, statements of the Apostles' Creed. And today we'll be looking at these last two lines that say that we believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Right? These are, are two statements of our faith that, that we believe in, not because it sounds nice to us and we created a, a, a whole system of belief around something that sounds nice to us, but because the Scriptures tell us that this is the case. And so today I want to look at passages of Scripture that point to the fact that we have a life coming that's greater than the one that we're in right now. We have a life that we're expecting that will go on and on forever. Amen. Here we go. In John chapter 14, Jesus is with his disciples and he tells them this. He says, do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. Now he's telling them not to let their hearts be troubled because this is his last meal with them. He is about to be going away And they're going to be on their own, so to speak. And so he says, don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And then he says this, in my father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, then I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How do we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So Jesus, with his disciples, as he is getting ready to face the cross and endure the torment that ultimately buys our freedom from sin and death, Jesus tells his disciples, listen, I'm going to be going away, but I'm preparing a place for you, and I'm going to come again, and you will be with me. In other words, I'm going to make a place ready for you to spend out the rest of eternity with me in my presence. And Jesus makes it very clear that the only way that we get there, the only way into heaven, the only way into true fellowship with the Father is in in Jesus Himself. Now, other passages of, of Scripture tell us that this is going to involve a, a, a resurrection. Jesus was our first fruits of resurrection. He was the first example of one who was raised from the dead and never to be, uh, never to suffer again, never to die again, never for his body to deteriorate. And one of the passages that I looked at is in 1 Corinthians. And Paul is writing a, a letter to the church at Corinth and, and he is trying to make sure that they understand what to expect in the times to come. And he, he's giving them this insight in First Corinthians chapter 15, all the way down at verse 50 and following, he says this, he says, now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. He's telling them, listen, these mortal bodies that we have right now, they're not going to cut it for everything that God has in store for us. The bodies that we have right now, they are fading away. They are wearing out. They're going to perish. And the perishable cannot inherit the imperishable. It's fading away. He says, behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. This verse of Scripture has been you know, adorned on the walls of nurseries in churches around the world. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. Um, but what Paul is saying here is that these bodies, we, some of us are not going to die. When he's referring to sleep here, he, he's talking about those who, who pass away, that this is a temporary thing for those who are believers, those who are, are bought with the blood of Christ, those who have, have put their hope in Jesus Death is a temporary thing. The physical death of our bodies, he he calls it sleep because he knows that we will come again. He says we will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. Meaning even those of us who live in the time that Christ returns, even those of us who are still breathing and still making it in this world, we will be changed somehow. Because these perishable bodies cannot inherit the imperishable that God has in store for us. He goes on, he says, In the moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. And we, meaning we who remain, we who are alive, will be changed. The dead will be raised imperishable. He says, for this... This perishable must put on the imperishable. This mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, when this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, "Death is swallowed up in victory. O oh, death, where is your victory? O oh, death, where is your sting?" He says, the sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my brethren, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. You see, Paul is trying to encourage this church at Corinth. He's saying, listen, you're working hard at this. You're suffering from persecution outside. You, you're enduring a lot of hardship in this life. But hold on. There's something better coming. There is a, a new life that's coming. There is a resurrection from the dead that's coming. And with that, all of us will receive a new body. All of us will be glorified. All of us will be changed in that moment. And we'll receive what God has in store for us. Here we see that the real power that we have against us, the real trouble that we have, the biggest problem that any of us face is really sin because sin is what leads to the spiritual death. Sin is what leads us to miss out on the everlasting life that God has in store for us. And that's why he says the sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But see... Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The reason that it's taken away is because Jesus died on the cross. That's why Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life. Death has no power over us. Death has no final say-so in our lives because Christ has paid the price. Christ Christ on the cross Paid the price for all of our sin. And so we have a promise of life everlasting that's coming. We have a promise of life that's better than anything this world has to offer. We have the promise of not just a second life, but a life that goes on and on and on forever. Imperishable. Immortal. Now, I remember as a kid growing up in in church and You know, you watch cartoons and you see certain depictions and you start to kind of form ideas of what heaven is like. And and, and so I remember thinking, oh, so in heaven, this new body that we get, it's got to have wings, right? I don't think that you can really find that in Scripture necessarily. But I had that picture in mind, like, man, wouldn't that be awesome? Grow some wings? Be like an X-Man. And I remember thinking that, you know, as I grew up, it's like, well, no, no, heaven is really about being in fellowship with God. And so it's like just worship of God. And I, I remember one time I was imagining that and I was like, and I've been in some church services where the singing just went on and on and on and on, right? And, and it's like, I'm not sure that that's really what I want to do forever, <laughs> right? <laughs> is this really such a good gig? you know and we have these pictures in our head whether it's a, an angel sitting on a cloud playing a harp you know in this peaceful by and by or or some kind of spiritual dream world or something like that where you know the rules of the universe just don't apply anymore i don't know what people come up with but i had a pretty active imagination and it wasn't until sometime later that i began to think about heaven differently and one of the things that that i I look to in the scriptures that kind of helps to bring some reality and and some expectation of what heaven will really be like. I find it in the book of Revelation. In Revelation 21, John is, is receiving a vision from an angel. What we know about the life of John is that eventually, because he won't stop talking about Jesus, the Romans ship him off to an island to live out the rest of his days, where he just won't have that kind of influence over large groups of people. And so he goes to the island and he writes letters and has a tremendous amount of influence even two thousand years later. So this is this is John the Apostle who is writing because of a vision that he has while he's there, and, and we find out early in the in the book of Revelation in, in the first chapter that this this revelation that happens, it, I mean it terrifies him at first, and he sees visions and he writes it down and and. The, the full understanding of Revelation is not really given to us. The, the full picture, like most of the prophecy in the, in the Bible, you don't really recognize what's happening in the day and time when it's happening. It's only after it happens you look back and you say, Oh yeah, Daniel said this was going to take place because God told him. Right? Most of the time we don't we don't have that clear picture. Like Pharaoh had the dreams about the, the seven fat. Cows getting swallowed up by the seven skinny cows. He had no idea what that meant. But only because God gave Joseph a special insight, an understanding, did he see that means seven years of plenty followed by seven years of famine, we better get ready for the famine. Most of the time, though, we don't get the explanation until after the fact. We don't see it until later. But towards the end... John is given a a picture of what heaven will be like. And so if you look in in chapter 21 with me, we're going to read several scriptures here, most of the chapter, in fact. And if we begin in verse 1, John says this. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away. There is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city new jerusalem coming down out of heaven from god made ready as a bride adorned for her husband and i heard a loud voice from the throne saying behold the tabernacle of god is among men and he, and he will dwell among them they shall be his people and god himself will be among them and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no longer there will excuse me no longer be any death There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. Can we get an amen for that one? The first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write, for these words are faithful and true. And then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. And he who overcomes will inherit these things. And I will be his God and he will be my son. But for the cowardly and the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and spoke with me saying, come here, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. Having the glory of God, her brilliance was like a very costly stone as a stone of crystal clear jasper. It had a great and high wall with 12 gates, and at the gates 12 angels and names were written on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel. And there were three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. And the wall of the city had 12 foundation stones, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Now, let me just pause right there and and point out the fact. This is a physical city that John is seeing. And it blows our mind in its capacity. It it is engineering that, you know, makes the makes the pyramids of Gaza look or Giza, Gaza, Giza, right? Makes the pyramids of Giza look like, you know, Lincoln Logs. Well, What happens in the next few verses is the angel actually takes a measuring rod and he starts to measure the city before John so that John can write down the measurements. And most of our estimates, based on the translation of times and and standards and that kind of thing, it it estimates that the city is a, a cube. Like it is 1,500 miles wide, 1,500 miles across, and 1,500 miles high. And it's mind blowing to try to imagine something that big. Just to kind of put it in a frame of reference, the distance from New York to LA is about three thousand miles. So imagine a city that was that covered half of the continental United States. That's the kind of dimension we're talking about. It's huge, unbelievable, and the the beauty, the the description of the building materials are, are just out of this world. The, the the kinds of costly stones that it's depicting are, are just unimaginable. And you can tell by the way that John writes about this that he is just blown away by the beauty and the majesty of this city. And it says that John was taken to a mountaintop to, to view this. And so one of the things that that I would first point out is that whenever the Bible talks about heaven, the Bible is talking about a another physical reality it's not just some kind of ethereal spiritual other dimensional kind of place it's physical the bible uses physical terminology to describe what heaven is like john stands on a mountain he sees a river there are there are sounds there is light there it, there is evidence according to the scriptures that heaven It's going to be like earth, but perfect. Like the most beautiful thing you can imagine times infinity. That heaven is going to be something great. Greater than we could ever imagine. But it's not just sitting on your cloud playing your harp. There's going to be stuff to do. There are things there. There are places to to see and visit and I believe that there's going to be work to be done. Look look on with me in verse 21. In verse 21, he says, The twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each one of the gates was a single pearl. I would hate to see the clam that that came out of. (laughs) And the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. Yeah, pure gold like transparent glass. I have never seen gold that pure. I Don't know exactly how to describe that or how to even picture that in my head. But he goes on, he says, I saw no temple in it. For the Lord God, the Almighty, the Lamb, they are its temple. It says, the city has no need of the sun or of the moon to shine on it for the glory of God has illumined it. And its lamp is the Lamb. The nations will walk by Its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. The nations will walk by its light. The, The kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. This tells us that this is this is a city in a much larger context, that there are nations that will be somehow paying tribute to the king of kings, the Lord of Lords. It means that there will be activities that will be going on around the world that we will bring as a a gift to the King the work of our hands in some way. He goes on, he says, In the daytime, for there will be no night there, its gates will never be closed. They will bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it, and nothing unclean, no one who practices abomination and lying, shall ever come into it, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Now listen. This picture of heaven is not the same as what Bugs Bunny would depict heaven to be like. This picture of heaven, it illustrates that there is something very real and tangible about it. And it's a a heaven, an existence where there is no pain, where there is no no more weeping, there's no more loss through death. This is something that is great that we have to look forward to. And what we're doing right now, this life we're living right now, it, it pales in comparison to what God has in store for us. But it's important because we're getting ourselves ready for that day. I said, I believe that there will be a lot of things in heaven that will remind us of the best parts of this life. I believe that there will be things that that we get to do that we've only dreamed of doing here in this life. I believe that God has given you your passions and your desires and that in, in heaven you will have the opportunity to fulfill those to their greatest extent. I believe that people who love to to sing and write music will be able to do that in ways that they never knew possible before. I believe that people who love to study science will get to unravel the mysteries of how God made what He made and how beautiful it is for His own glory. I believe that, that people who love to build things will be able to engineer structures that they only imagined in their life. And they will be able to do it with great joy and for the glory of God forever and ever. When I imagine heaven, it's not just a worship service that goes on and on and on. It's living a life of worship. Without the baggage that this life seems to tag on to us without the pain of these bodies wearing away, without the sorrow of losing loved ones. Imagine if you were able to take whatever it is that God has given you, whatever gift it is, whatever passion it is, whatever desire you've ever had, and just explore it to its final degree, all for His glory. And we'll all get to share in that experience together. We'll all get to be blessed by seeing what God has given us the capacity to do. I believe heaven will be greater than anything that we could imagine. So, when we say in the, the Creed, I believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. That means something more than just we're done and we get to rest. It means that life will really begin at that time and that we'll get to see what this is really all about. We'll see God face to face. His light will permeate everything that we do and we will get to go far and, and above anything we could have ever imagined in this life. God has more in store for us. All right. So I got through that part. Here's the last thing that I want to do. Just kind of as a a summary of what all we've talked about. So I'm going to kind of go through these lines one more time with us in the time that we have left here. First of all, we said, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth. When we say that we believe as Christians in one God, we're talking about a God who is over everything and that He is the one who created everything that's here and that He is the one who set it in motion and sustains it. God is in charge of everything. We believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. And that Jesus was born of a virgin. That he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. That he lived at a very particular point in time in which Pontius Pilate had dominion over the part of the world where he lived and was able to execute Jesus. And we believe that Jesus was crucified under the Roman rules. That he really died. That he was really buried we talked about descending into hell and, and the, the mystery that's involved in the scriptures in that particular point. That we don't have as, as clear a narrative of what that looks like. Just a couple of references, kind of in passing. But that if Jesus did descend into hell, it wasn't to, because he had to suffer there. He didn't deserve hell. He had lived a perfect life. He was not consigned to hell. Instead, he would have only gone to preach the good news that death had been beaten that victory had been won. The third day he rose again from the dead and, that, and then he ascended into heaven. Our Lord did not stay dead. Jesus died on the cross, a perfect sinless man, so that he could pay the penalty once and for all that we owed. And he proved his power over death. He proved his authority to pay that price by coming back from the dead. On the third day. And he ascended into heaven. It says he is seated at the right hand of God. The Father Almighty. Jesus finished the work that he came to do. And he has been given a place. Of authority next to the Father. In heaven. And he will come again. We know that Jesus will come again. That he will judge the living and the dead. When he comes. He's going to separate the sheep from the goats. He's going to distinguish between those who knew Him and those who did not. We know that there is a Holy Spirit. That Jesus actually told His disciples, it's to your benefit, it's to your advantage that I leave and go away because then the Father will send the Holy Spirit. We talked about the work of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit's job is to remind us of all the things that Jesus taught us. And to give us the power and the abilities that we need to accomplish the work that God has sent us to accomplish. And we do that together as the church. The Holy Catholic Church is the the unified congregation of all the saints. Everyone who claims the name of Christ, no matter what church you went to, no matter which denomination you feel like you belong to, if you claim the name of Christ as your Lord and Savior, you belong to the Holy Catholic Church, the unified church of Jesus Christ. And that church is God's design, God's plan for reaching the world. And we all have a role to play. We live this out in communion with other saints, in unity with one another, in that fellowship or that, that common endeavor together with our brothers and sisters. We believe in the forgiveness of sins, which is our biggest problem. Our biggest need was that our sins would be dealt with because unless our sins are paid for, it doesn't matter how good we are. There's still that impurity that has to be dealt with. And it was Christ dying on the cross that won our forgiveness so that He is just and our justifier. And that because we have forgiveness of sins, we have the resurrection of these mortal bodies. And we're promised a change where the mortality will be done away with and we'll put on immortality. And that we will live an everlasting life with our Savior in glory. And that will be far beyond anything we can imagine. Thank you all for going down this journey with me. I thank you for the questions. I've had some really interesting conversations through this process, and I love that. And um, I'm looking forward to what comes next. If you have other questions about it, please don't hesitate to ask. I, I had somebody actually, some of our visitors a couple of weeks ago, they're like, uh, we're not Catholic. Are we in the wrong church? Like, well, no, it's lowercase c, Catholic. And there's, there's been other questions that are a little bit harder to digest and, and, and chew on, but I think that that's important too for the journey that we engage in those questions, that we take the time to ask them. We don't try to just bury it and pass it off and say, oh, I don't even want to think about that because it might wreck everything. I encourage you to jump in. Find some believers who will have the discussion with you, but ultimately, our faith, our hope, our trust is in our Savior. These are the things that we believe and I believe that it leads us, leads us to the life that God really designed us for. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for your word. Above everything else, Lord, your word is where we find truth. If we find truth anywhere else in this world, it's simply a derivative of what your word has taught us. Father, I thank you that we can find hope among the truth. Lord, that we can find peace in the truth. Thank you that we can find everything we crave in the truth of your word. Father, I pray that no matter what it is that, that we may hear, that we may listen to that we may draw conclusions about. Father, I pray that in everything we would take those those truths, those statements, those beliefs, and we would examine them against the standard of your word. And that your word would lead us to what is really true. Father, thank you that just because we have questions doesn't mean that we're out of step with you. God, I thank you that your word invites us to to come and to reason with you. We don't have to leave our intellect at the door. We don't have to leave our questions behind. We don't have to bury our doubts. But Lord, we can just confess them to you. We can ask those questions. Lord, we can search for answers. God, at the end of the day, Sometimes your word just calls on us to trust you in faith. Not a blind faith, but just faith with our eyes wide open to the fact that you you have satisfied everything that we need. That you have spoken truth over every area of our life that matters. Father, I pray that that faith would be something we hold fast to. That even in the doubts, even in the questions, Lord, you would receive glory and honor. Father, I pray that we wouldn't take this lightly. Lord, that we wouldn't Think too little about what it is that we believe. But as we dig into your word, as we study it more deeply, I pray that it would shape the very essence of our life. Or that we would recognize that in this life is just practice for the everlasting life that's ahead of us. Help us to learn what it means to do everything for the glory of God, that whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, we would do it all for the glory of God, our Father. So we know that's what heaven will be like. Oh, Father, help us to recognize that the days are short, that we are not promised tomorrow or the next day. But, Father, the time is now. help us to make a decision today to be everything you have called us to be and to bring glory and honor to your name thank you for the promise may it motivate us to live every moment preparing for that day Lord I ask all this in Jesus name Amen. I pray God's blessings on you and that as you think about what heaven will be like, that it'll inspire you to live every moment you can, preparing for that reality. I don't know how it all works. I don't understand God's economy necessarily, but... I know that he says, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust corrupt, where thieves break in and steal, but rather store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. The best I can understand it, the most valuable treasure in the eyes of God is people. That's what he paid the highest price for. That's what he created this world. Ultimately, was to house his most prized creation. You and me. Your neighbors, your co-workers. God loves all of us. I pray that you'll be investing in that kingdom by bringing as many people along with you as you can. It's going to be greater than anything that you can imagine in this life. May God bless you and may He inspire you. You respond to the Lord as Keatron leads us in song.